Hi, this is singer-songwriter Elizabeth Edwards. Welcome to Giving Voice to Recovery, a place we share ideas and experience for the purpose of inspiring you on your recovery journey. I am so glad you've joined me for this series of conversations with my dear friend, Christina Wanzelak. You may know Christina from her book, The Lost Years, her work on TLC's groundbreaking show, Addicted, or her television docuseries, Codependent, which premiered on Lifetime and A&E. Christina is credited with helping thousands of addicts and their families through her work as an international interventionist and now joins me in a series of conversations about life, recovery, and coffee. Welcome to Coffee with Christina. Hey there. Hi. Happy holidays. Thank you. You too. I I love the holidays. I do too. I do too. I'm so excited. It's like, I feel like I turn into a big kid. I did cookies all day yesterday. I was like, "Ah." and you know, the funny thing, my husband always says like, I've never known anyone that's so into Christmas. Like you should see my house. It's like a winter wonderland. Um, But I, you know, I, yeah, I've had 28 Christmases sober now, or this will be my 28th. And it just brings me such happiness and joy, like not to sound cliche and it has nothing to do with, I don't know, presents or things like that, but just the feeling in the air of hope and excitement for the new year, possibilities, having family and friends. I found myself the other day saying, uh, a client asked me what I was looking forward to most about the holidays. And I said that like dorky mom answer, which I never (laughs) thought I'd say. Elizabeth, all I said was, I'm so excited to have my kids home, right? To have all my kids and family around. Like I did that dorky answer. My mom used to say that when all four of us were sitting at the table and she'd look around with tears in her eyes and say, I can't tell you how happy I am to have all four of my kids home. That's and so now, funny. right? Like now I feel good. Like to have all my kids home. That's so funny. I don't know. And, and I, the most painful days of my addiction I mean it's hard to say painful days but it was you know a a particular type of excruciating being loaded yes miserable alienated yeah during the terrible I have some of those memories yeah unfortunately unfortunately I I wish I didn't I don't remember I was a blackout drinker so I I don't remember large swaths of my drinking years but I do remember some very painful uh, one in particular that I just uh, it's just like wow really painful isolated yeah so we're I, always, we, I have a particular type of envy for you alcoholics right like yeah. as a crackhead and like methamphetamine addict there's no blackouts I was wickedly and painfully awake for and all aware. my fucking misery, yeah. <laughs> you alcoholics, right? You drink enough, you get to just pass out. But us crackheads, we are painfully awake 
for days and days it's, and days. It's funny because I started using amphetamines with my drinking. So it was like this real Jekyll and Hyde thing, right? So I would be painfully aware and awake, drunk at times. And that oh. was always really awful. <laughs> oh, that was just an unholy mess is what that was. But no, there's there was definitely times. But but to, to get back to all the joy of uh, being sober in the holidays. And it's funny that you say that about, um, I sounded like my mom is a dorky mom. I have a friend or uh, an acquaintance, actually. She's a woman that I admire a lot in Nashville. And she wrote a song called I'm turning into my mother. (laughs) So that cracks me up when you said that. Um, So, you know, I got sober in October. So I went straight into the holiday season. And and even before that, I went to, I was in a wedding at 30 days sober, right around 30 days sober. And it was just like, oh, this is so hard. What do you suggest and what works for you? And what, what do you share with people that are new in recovery and they really, 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 you know, are hanging on kind of for dear life and they really want to stay sober through the holidays. What worked for you? What works for you? What do you suggest? Oh, well, I think from the very, very start and I had my first holiday sober, I guess I was in treatment before I moved into a van, right? I got sober living in a van. Um, I think the most important thing for me was, is, is finding community and connection. I, for me, I found my recovery in AA because when I got sober all those years ago, that was really all that was available. They didn't have outpatients and therapy and psychiatry were for the elite. You know, they didn't have any, any of that. So I just, I had no choice, but to go to AA, um, even Narcotics Anonymous in my area was, I think they only had seven meetings a week. Yeah. Alcoholics Anonymous, we have close to I want to say like 300 meetings in AA. It's extraordinary here in the Bay Area. So mm-hmm. nonetheless, finding, uh, I think it's important to find new uh, rituals and new activities, something um, obviously around or with other sober men and women. And for, for people that, because a lot of my clients, their families aren't sober. So it's not necessarily what, okay it's possible to enjoy the holidays sober, even around families that are drinking. The most important thing I think is to always have an exit plan, right? So I never went to parties, New Year's parties, holiday parties, families or friends, right? Without my own way out. Mm -hmm. I always had numbers in my pocket, which is a funny thing to say, because now people have them on their phones. But right, it's like you always want to have those people you can reach out to. So always have a way out, always have an exit plan. I always told my family, like my mom or whatever, if things get too uncomfortable for me here, because there is, you know, lots of alcohol, I'm good. I just want you to know that I'm going to respectfully step away. For me, I always have and my like my mantra is I always leave after cake. Right. At every wedding I've ever been to, I leave after cake. Right. Because after the cake, it's just Mm -hmm. drinking. Same with Thanksgiving things. Same with Christmas. Right. After dessert, I'm out. Right. That's just always, always my plan. And I go and go to a meeting or I go do a sober activity or, you know, one of my favorite things to do on Christmas Eve is to like a midnight mass. It's just Mm -hmm. beautiful. And I don't even go to mass, but it's, it's just beautiful and the mm-hmm. singing and the candles and I don't know, it's just kind of cool. 
glorious, I guess. It really moves so me spiritual, in some way. So spiritual yeah. food of yeah. the season, because really right. the season's about it's a great belief way to put it. in things. Yeah, it's we're we're talking about belief every across all the different holidays that are celebrated throughout this year. Even New Year's going into the new year, there's this hopeful belief, and and that is a beautiful um, emotion to carry through the holidays. Um, I've had a couple things. Can I add a couple things to your list? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, the other thing I wanted to say real quick too, the yeah. other thing I always do is some sort of act of service. Yes. Like some yeah. sort of like act of kindness, whether it's bringing blankets to the homeless, like, soup uh, kitchen. you know, yeah. yeah, soup kitchen, somehow being, being of service. And, you know, it's like I tell my kids, it doesn't have to be a radical act, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be some large radical act it can just be something simple as making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and go handing them out to the homeless in front of the local 7-eleven or you know in our town we have a park where there's a lot of homeless people and just go and i don't know bring some socks right from the dollar and that's store. a good and that's a good antidote for if you're like i was super broke when i got sober i mean i was i had very, very little money. I was on, you know, I was just rock bottom and I didn't have any gifts to bring. So I didn't want to go. Like I didn't want to show up to anything. So I wanted to isolate and feel sorry for myself. But what I was suggested to me to do was to go find something you can bring. And so I lived in the Sierra Nevada mountains near them and was from there. So I knew, and I went and got a bunch of those big sugar pine, pine cones and I put them in a basket that I had, and I took those to, as a decorative to the party. It was just so simple, but the fact that I could contribute, right? That became this really wonderful um, shift for me emotionally that I could bring something to the party. So even if you can't do something like go to a soup kitchen or whatever, there's a place for you to give somewhere. And when you give, you, you, there's something that happens inside of our souls as human beings that we can feel part of and connected. And so I always encourage people to find a place to give, even if it's a nickel in the Salvation Army's little kettle, or if it's of service or time, but yeah, and there's also all kinds of 12 step groups that meet 24 seven. So when you go to the party, um, that has maybe has alcohol with people who can enjoy alcohol and, 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 and you go there, you do, you're there because they're your family or your friends or people that you are important to you and you, you're still struggling, but you don't want to miss out on life. That's the, that's the rub. You have the, the meeting planned for after. So you have a place to go. There's a that's right. That's good right. orderly direction is one of the acronyms for higher power. Right. So um, anyway, those are some of the, the ideas that I suggest as well. Yeah, I think. Um, of course, the sober support, sober activity, I think always having an exit plan has been one of my yes. saving graces through all of my sobriety, Elizabeth, I do that for everything yes. from weddings to showers to always, I always have a way out. It, and it also, I think it also creates some pain. It's, you know, I, I know it's also my trauma. I get very um, panicky when I, when I don't have a way out, when yeah. I'm dependent on somebody. And I, and I know that triggers kind of my old 
you know, that's like my trauma, right? That's my PTSD being trapped. I, I have a lot of trauma around being trapped with different situations in my life. And so, I don't know, not being able to get out, not being able to take care of myself, having to depend on somebody else, it, it creates a particular panic in me. So I always have my way out, always, always. And, and what, what are some ways that you would suggest, let's say somebody maybe doesn't have a car, like would they make sure they have an Uber ride or would they have somebody they could call to pick them up? Or what, what are some ways that people- Totally, can... because when I say I always had, I didn't have a car for ever in my mm-hmm. sobriety. Mm-hmm. Um, So either, I mean, for me walking, you know, I live in California, so it's not like it snows and shit, but it does get cold. But um, I know this sounds weird, but walking saved my life. There was, so if nothing else, right? I knew myself well enough that I could walk out the door, right? So if I was someplace that I didn't know the neighborhood or something like this, I I would have, you know, like an escape plan, right? Just Mm -hmm. know what I was walking to. If nothing else, I could walk Mm -hmm. out the door. Otherwise, yes, of course. The other thing, going with a sober friend. Yes. Having someone go with you that does have a car Mm -hmm. um, or having access, you know, obviously everyone has cell phones today. So, um, you know, having access to people that could Uber a friend, you know, that can come and get you or take a friend with you. So mm-hmm. when I say having an exit plan, it doesn't mean you have to have a car. It means you have to the ability to exit out of the situation as quickly as, and safely as right. possible. That saved my life truly. And I still do that. And I remember like my first, <sighs> like my first intervention overseas, international travel, um, it was really difficult for me in the beginning because it created that panic that I wouldn't be able to get home Mm. somehow. So even when I travel, I always make sure I have that extra, right? That extra in a savings account or on a credit card, right? Just that extra. So I know at any given day, at any given time, I can get myself out of there and I don't have to depend on the family that flew me there or the, you know, Mm-hmm. speaking agent to get me out of there or production to get me out of there. I always make sure I have extra, right? Enough money to get me from wherever I am on location to the airport to home. And for some reason, just knowing I have that allows me to not have that terrible panic. I think that's a great point. I had that, I've had that same thing traveling and playing music I was in Ohio one time and I was singing at the university there and it was like the day before and I came in for a rehearsal or whatever. And I was, I went to um, get some dinner afterwards and I started having that feeling of that anxiety that comes over sometimes when we're alone too much. I was with a lot of people, but they weren't Mm -hmm. people I knew it was a working situation. And then I was alone a lot and it started snowing and it started triggering me. And I remember I had a small big book in my purse and I pulled it out, you know, the little tiny ones and I had it in my purse and I, and I started reading it and that just calmed me down. Now that's my program. That's where I'm coming from. But if there's some kind of a, um, a way mm-hmm. of spiritually working on yourself too, that's another way. But yeah, I had the money to get home if that wasn't going to work out, but it wasn't even that that wasn't working out. It was just, there was something about the situation that triggered my 
my my uh, thinking into a place that was really um, not healthy for me. And so I was like, and so just, I think we learn that over time. So for people who are new in recovery, know that the holidays can have all kinds of triggers because we're around people we haven't resolved issues with, or we, we get a lot of fear around, oh, is somebody going to ask me why I'm not drinking? You know, people don't tend to care. And if you have a problem, they tend to be happy that you're not. <laughs> right. And I always know that the people that actually notice that I'm not drinking are the people that need to not be drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, no. like, really, nobody gives a shit. Nobody gives a shit. I just know that the people that notice are either yeah. sober or I need to give them my business card. Yeah. <laughs> Because alcohol has affected their lives somehow. Yeah, the people, I had a guy one time who's like, he harassed me. I had double decade, decade, I had a couple decades of sobriety. And this guy was like really interested. It was like 20 people at this table. And he didn't realize my, like, I'm pretty out there with my recovery. I'm like way out there with my recovery. And he went off on like, I think this is, and it was a holiday thing. He's like, I think you need a drink. I think you need a drink. And people were nudging him because they all knew that yeah. he didn't know. And sure enough, I was like, mm-hmm. but I didn't say anything. I just, you know, I let it go. I thought it was funny, but yes. thank you so Hi. much, Christina. I, I just love talking to you. I, yeah. I think we have, we have such a good Monday morning together, something to look forward to. I just want thank to thank you. you. And I want to and wish you a happy holiday and, and, and just cherish those moments with your kids. Thank you. I was going to say the same very merry <laughs> christmas to you and uh, we'll see you next week absolutely take care thank you bye bye